preach in Jesus' name this morning. Uh, one more announcement, I guess. Not I guess, I'm sure. Thanks so much for everyone in the congregation who contributed whatever way to the CLE workshop Wednesday night and Thursday. Uh, certainly it was a blessing and a lot of people were encouraged and I was encouraged and challenged myself. Not this coming week, but the following week I'm scheduled to speak at a minister's study week in Ohio on shepherding the flock. And I don't know why, but I think I've struggled with this subject more than I think I've ever have. Days of studying. And I'm not done yet. And so I decided, you know what, I, I just can't start from scratch for a sermon Sunday morning or I'm going to be over my head. And so I took a combination of four sub, four different subtopics of shepherding the flock and, and uh, going to share that this morning in a perspective as parents. It's interesting. I don't know of any particular subject in the Bible that I can read at least in any depth, and say, well, that's definitely for somebody else. It's not for me. And uh, so if I'm talking to pastors about shepherding their flock, well, automatically, I have to take into consideration that I'm part of the flock. I'm an under-shepherd. And so... If I think about that, I'm very sobered by the fact that I'm an under-shepherd and I have the chief shepherd to answer to. And then, I have responsibility to the flock here at Prairie and the parents have to shepherd their little flocks. And so the title of the message this morning is Shepherding Your Flock. Turn me in your Bibles to Matthew 9. And it's looking at Jesus Matthew 9 verse 36. Let's start at verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Verse 36. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted, and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. 
Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus was going around the cities and the villages, and he was, he was healing people, and he was teaching them, and, and uh, it seemed like he stopped. And he just took a long gaze around. And the Bible says he was moved with compassion. And the reason he was moved with compassion is because he saw a people that were like sheep without a shepherd. They had no one to oversee. There was no one to take responsibility for their care. There was no one seemingly that felt any accountability to these people. Did anybody care? And the Bible says that he was moved with compassion. So when you look over the flock that God has given you, when you gather around the table at supper time, and you look over your little flock, your flock, your home, what goes through your mind? Are your emotions stirred? Do you feel the responsibility? Do you feel the accountability? Do you really care about that little flock? Turn me to Isaiah 40. <clears throat> Verse 9. O Zion that bringeth good tidings, get thee up to the high mountains. O Jerusalem that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord will come with strong hand, and his arm will rule for him. Behold his reward is with him, and his work before him. 
strong, powerful, aggressive words. But then he says, in one of my favorite verses, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. That's our shepherd. He does care. He looks on us. He feels the responsibility. He feels the accountability. And he really cares. He has a shepherd's heart. You know, if he didn't have a shepherd's heart, it really wouldn't matter if the flock were fed. It wouldn't matter whether they needed carried. It wouldn't matter whether he slowed down because of the ewes that were great with young. He just barge on through. So when you look at your at your flock, what do you feel? How do you act? Do you love them? Is that a shallow, superficial love? Or is that love Deep is that love true, authentic is that love patient. Does that love ever get off? You know, I can do it so long and that's it. Is your flock in the way? Are they always in the way? Now I noticed that when Dave Snyder was here, he said that when there's a problems in a marriage that they're trying to help solve, the husband almost always takes a position that it's the wife's fault. Almost always. You notice that? You pick that up? Almost always, the husband will take the position that it's the wife's fault. She is in the way. That's what he's saying. The husband says, she is in the way of a good marriage. We would have a happy home, but the children are in the way. It's all their fault.
could it possibly be on the outside chance, I mean really, really outside chance, the possibility, could the possibility exist that it might be Dad's fault? Now, we as dads might think that's extremely rare, but j just consider it as an outside chance. Maybe we could start there. Outside chance. But maybe it's an inside chance. Maybe it's a big chance. See, it has to do with focus. We're at Buck Creek for ordination, and they're doing some remodeling in the church. Okay, so I walk in, I get up to preach, and I see the brand new door in the back without any trim on it. And I'm thinking, you know, it's like, because I'm a trim carpenter. My eye went to the door, and I went to the trim. You know what I was missing? Brand new carpet, brand new benches, and a... Yeah. So they got all new carpet, all new benches, brand new door, and guess what Dennis sees? The three pieces of wood that went around. Focus. What percentage of the entire project was those three pieces of wood? Maybe 1%, 2%. See, but it was focus. My problem was focus. So I can focus. Maybe there is a problem, but I can focus on that problem. Maybe it's in somebody else's life. Maybe it is their problem in a family member's life. But I can focus on that problem and lose sight of me. One of the best pieces of advice I ever received at a minister's study week had to do with focus. And that statement was this. 90% of all church difficulty stem from 10% of the people. Never forget the 90%. That's what the speaker said. So you think about that. Now, about time I'm getting feeling a little smug about, you know, I'm part of the 90%, obviously. I mean, you don't have to ask that question. You know, I'm not a rabble rouser in the congregation. Okay, so, so yeah, well, that 10%, yeah, we, we have to take, you know, we have, we have to let that 10% destroy our shepherding. But then the next man comes up and says that 90% of all church difficulty originates with the preacher. Now, you talk about leaving the air out of your tires real, real, real quick. So, okay, so 10% of the pro 10 90% of the problems originate from 10%. Okay, so 
uh, if you do this logically, 90% of that 10% starts with a preacher. If you put those two together. That's not very... Don't inflate your tires. It Don't inflate your ego. It doesn't do a whole lot for you. But okay, so notice the focus though. About time I feel smug, guess what the realities are about me in the eyes of somebody else. He says, they're self-inflicted. 90% of the problem in church are self-inflicted. So, the, the question in my mind then comes, as a parent, how much of the problems that would surface in our home are self-inflicted. Now, you may debate the percentages, but folks, this morning, we can't get around the fact that a percentage of the problems that we face in our home are self-inflicted by the parents. That's just true. If we do not... If we do not... If, if we do not want to go there, that only proves the fact. So how much of the difficulties that I face with my children are a product, say, of poor child training? Or poor example from the parents. For example, if I don't get my way as a parent, do I whine till I get it? If somebody tells me no, do I whine about it? Can I accept a no? You know what? If you and I as a dad, mom's here, getting very practical, cannot accept a no. And our children know that we cannot accept a no. We cannot accept, we cannot expect anything else from our children. It just won't happen. We might as well get it straight. I'm preaching to the choir this morning. And maybe why it's just, maybe it's why this these subjects are coming so tough for me because it's beating me up so bad. If I cannot take a no from my fellow leaders at Prairie Church, how can I ever expect anybody here to take a no from leadership? It won't happen. Same way with parents. If I cannot accept a no from my fellow bishops in Midwest Mennonite Fellowship, 
It's over here. That prairie. And I'll just inject here. I think probably one of the most critical things, lessons that a child needs to learn from the get-go is that a firm, gentle no means no. It doesn't mean maybe. It doesn't mean that's what I wish you would do. No means no. And the parents shouldn't have to threaten. They shouldn't have to say, you know what, I told you two or three times now. I'm, I, I'm just about, no, no, you don't have to go the second, third, you know, maybe the second time if, they, if you think they may not have understood. No. No simply means no. Jesus was in the garden. He said, God, he said, if, if, if you can, let this cup pass from me. And God said, no. And Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. He say, oh, come on, come on. You, you can do better than that. You know, you, why do you always say no? No, man, come on. No. When God said no, he meant no. And Jesus knew that no meant no. And I'll tell you what, there was way more hanging on that no than you and I will have hanging on probably any other no. So if I'm shepherding my flock and there's a difficulty, I as a shepherd have to make one of two choices. That is, I need to act upon that difficulty or I can react to that difficulty. The first one is on purpose And the second one will always make matters worse. Always. A rule of thumb that any leader can go by, I would say this morning, is that your first reaction will probably be wrong. You can almost count on it. It's simply because it's a reaction. And for no other reason, you haven't thought it through. It will probably be wrong. Your first reaction. You see, the first is rooted in love and wisdom. I mean, pardon me. Yes, act. The first is rooted in love and wisdom. 
the reaction is rooted in carnality. And we're all prone to carnality. Anybody here isn't? Raise your hand. I'd be glad to meet with you. I'd be glad to learn a lot from you. And I have a lot to learn. But you, you would be a good teacher. So we need to live on purpose. What I'm saying is, when there's a difficulty in the flock, you have to live on purpose. You need to shepherd with purpose. Daniel purposed in his heart. And that purpose brought an act, not a reaction. And that purpose was rooted in love, and it was rooted in wisdom, and it was rooted in some serious thinking through. Brother Larry Sherwater one time said in a sermon on the home, I heard him preach, he said, too many people, too many children in our community are jerked up. They're not raised. They're jerked up. So where do I want my family to be 20 years from now? Now we're talking about on purpose. We're talking about priorities here. Where do you want your family to be 20 years from now? You have to answer that question. Because if you haven't answered that question, you're going to have, instead of having 15 years experience of shepherding your flock, you're going to have one year's experience 15 times. You're just going to do the same old over, 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 over again. Because there's no purpose. So where, where do you want your children to be 20 years from now? What, what am I doing today in shepherding my flock that God has given me oversight over to make it happen? What am I doing today? Is my highest goal, when I look over my flock, is my highest goal that every single child around my table find a living, vibrant relationship with the Lord? Is that my goal? Supersedes all goals in life. I, I, I was thinking about this, you know, and I was thinking, you know, I... We have six children. And the highlights of my life were leading my six children to Jesus Christ. And if I had any reason to have 15 children, it would be that. I could do that 15 times instead of six. And I'm dead serious. I remember Mary Jo accepted Christ. I went to work. I was so pumped. And I'm telling my friends about my daughter who gave her heart to the Lord, and I was just... I, I, you know, I don't know if you ever see Dennis Martin glow, but I think I was glowing that day. And I, I, I one of my my uh, Baptist friends, I tell him, he's like, my daughter accepted Christ like that. I am so pumped today. And he said, well, he said, you, she don't have to worry about anything. No, he said, you don't have to worry about her anymore. 
that's from the Baptist perspective. I don't know if I worried about her after that, but I certainly was always concerned. And I still am concerned about her and her family and the rest of my children. Pray for them every day, my grandchildren. It don't matter if they lay me in the casket and I have $10 in the bank or $10 million in the bank. It don't matter. It doesn't matter where my house is 2,400 square feet or 12,000. It simply don't matter. It don't matter whether Dennis's name was known more than 10 miles around or 50 miles. It don't matter. It simply don't matter. Brothers and sisters, this morning, we have to get it right. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, more important in our families than our children and the flock we have to shepherd. God has given us the shepherd. And I was pumped this morning. I got this phone call. Jocelyn gave his heart to the Lord. And it's so exciting. Wow. How do I, how do, what a way to start Sunday morning. Get the preacher fired up. Donald wants Hillary to get a drug test because she's so pumped up on stage. Well, you, I'll give you a drug test anytime you want. Pardon me. I mean, it's like, but man, if that don't pump you up, I, your wood's, I mean, if that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. I am serious. Your wood is seriously wet. But we look at the, sometimes we look at the behavior of our sheep and we say, wow. But, think with me just a little bit this morning. Does the behavior of the sheep reflect or mirror or have any connection to, with the behavior of the shepherd? So what happens to the flock if the shepherd is frustrated? What happens to the flock? Just, just think with me now for a little bit. Let's we'll take our time through here. What happens to the flock if the shepherd is angry? What happens to the flock if the shepherd is reactionary? What happens to the flock if the shepherd is bitter? What happens to the flock if the shepherd is carnal? What happens to the flock if the shepherd is nonchalant? I don't care. What, if the ha what happens to the flock if the shepherd is proud or immoral? What happens to the flock if the shepherd's a workaholic? 
if he's absent. What happens if the, to the flock if the shepherd is coveting a house over there? You know, we have this old farmhouse, and we're getting old, and how long are we going to be able to do the stairs, you know? So we might as well get something on one level, and, you know, that house over there is just, it's, man, that, that would be it. Out in the country, by the church. If he was covetous. And I paid more attention to what was outside the church than what I paid was inside the church. Getting real practical, what happens to a flock if the shepherd is a perfectionist? Now, you can relate to that one. What happens to the flock if the shepherd is demanding? So we go down through this list and we say, you know, as a pastor, that wouldn't work. If the pastor's frustrated, if he's angry, if he's reactionary, if he's bitter, he's carnal, he's nonchalant, he's proud, he's immoral, he's a workaholic, he's covetous, he's absent, he's a perfectionist, and he's demanding. Wouldn't work for a minute. Make the connection? How about me as a dad? Or by the way, sisters, this morning, you're part of the shepherding too. You're an under-shepherd to your family. You see, wherever shepherding is going to be effective, and it's going to be successful, there has to be love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. You see, it's not only just the, the pastor or the shepherd or the under-shepherd. It has to do with the flock, too. Do I value the flock that I have? Do I value my co-flocks at prairie? You see, our sheep should be experiencing the same as the good shepherd's sheep, lying down in green pastures, leading them to still waters. You see, our co-flocks are extremely valuable. 
In the 70s and 80s, there was a teacher by the name of Bill Gothard, and he taught the umbrella of protection, and I think that there was some very valid uh, concepts there. Um, but there's one thing I noticed about that teaching that always troubled me a bit. In fact, it troubles me more and more the older I get is that underneath that umbrella of protection, I did not find the word church. So I don't know why it wasn't under that umbrella. I don't know. But I do know this. If, the under, if, if under the umbrella of protection the church is not included, we will find and we will experience some serious disappointments in our shepherding. Serious disappointments. You see, the shepherds need to work together. All shepherds need to work together. As a minister, my fellow shepherds are extremely critical to me. One pastor told me, he said that three of his fellow pastors told him that he was, uh, what did he say? He was forceful and uncaring in a meeting that they as a ministry had with a lay member. And he says to me, I didn't think that I was forceful and uncaring at all. And I told him, I said, you know what? If three of my fellow ministers told me that I was forceful and uncaring, Rest assured, I was forceful and uncaring. It doesn't matter what I think. Doesn't ma- I, I, I cannot defend it. I simply can't. And that's the way it is in the congregation. The fellow shepherds in this congregation are extremely critical in our shepherding. The sheep, because the sheep are extremely critical. The fact that I'm an under-shepherd should continually be in front of me. The simple fact that I have co-shepherds should continually be in front of me. Because our flocks are important. And I must continually honor the chief shepherd. The shepherd overall. I must honor the sheep. Because I'm accountable to the chief shepherd. I'm accountable to my co-shepherds. I'm accountable to my sheep. See, that accountability is horizontal. That accountability is vertical. I cannot say, Hoover, it is not your business what goes on in my house. I can't say that. 
Because it is every shepherd's business in this congregation what goes on in my flock. Because we, we graze our sheep together. Notice in the Old Testament. Why did Jesus say that the sheep know the shepherd's voice? Why was that important? It's because it was four or five flocks went into one enclosure. And probably, if my guess was right, human nature is the way it always was. They, the shepherds took, yeah, okay, you keep the door for two hours. I'll keep the door for two hours. We'll all get some sleep and, and the sheep are safe. And, and in the morning, they have to say, well, you must have forgot to mark your sheep. You know, there's one here that doesn't have a blue mark or a red mark or a green mark or a yellow mark or whatever. And so, so they come out and say, you this way, this way, this way, this way. No, no, no. It says the shepherd just called to them and they followed him. So it was important who was in that enclosure because there's wolves around. Okay. And I'm, I'm not up here saying that everybody needs to make it their business to always stick their nose in everybody else what it's doing. You know the Bible says that you, you know you just don't do that. All right, but it is our business. Because my flock is part of the larger flock. So what's the character of the shepherd like? Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness that we should be like we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised, rejected of man, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. He is not wear our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And we could go on. You know what? Maybe as a dad, sometimes you feel like you're beat up. Could I dare say that that's part of the process? Are we willing to absorb? For the benefit of our flock? So he feeds his flock like a shepherd. He cares for the flock. He gathers them. He loves them. He cares what's happening in their life. Not only does he care, he is devoted to them. He watches them. He protects them. He carries them. Notice the security. 
I believe our homes should be the most secure place that our children will ever walk into. They would rather be there than anywhere else. It's a place where sheep long to be. Why? It's because it's a place where they know the heart of the shepherd is there under all circumstances, under all adversity, all under all successes, all joys. And most of all, it is because there is where they learn to follow the chief shepherd. 